Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that through the preaching of your word, you're building your church. You're granting new life to those whom your son has already accomplished salvation for. That through hearing the word of Christ, the truths about who you are, what you have done, that you grant new life. Father, we thank you for your spirit that is at work in each one of our hearts to know you, to obey you, to worship you, uh, to be sanctified in your truth. We do ask for your spirit's illuminating power upon us now as we hear from your word that would lead to greater worship of your name, greater praise of who you are, greater proclamation of your good news. We thank you and we pray these things in your son's name. Amen. Psalm 119, verses 73 to verse 80. Your hands made me and established me. Give me understanding that I may learn your commandments. May those who fear you see me and be glad because I wait for your word. I know, O Yahweh, that your judgments are righteous and that in faithfulness you have afflicted me. O may your loving kindness comfort me according to your word to your slave. May your compassion come to me that I may live, for your law is my delight. May the arrogant be ashamed, for they wrong me with lying, but I shall muse on your precepts. May those who fear you turn to me and those who know your testimonies. May my heart be blameless in your statutes so that I will not be ashamed. I've titled this message, Understanding Life. Understanding Life. So how do you understand life? How do you process everything that you see and that is happening around you or to you? What is your purpose in life? How are you responding to life? What is your attitude and perspective in life? You will only understand life if you know and believe the Word of God. The Word of God which reveals who made and created you, the Word of God which reveals why you were made and created, the Word of God which reveals how to understand all of life and why things are the way they are, the Word of God which reveals how we are to respond and how we are to conduct ourselves in this world, and the Word of God which reveals the one who is sovereign over it all. The Bible is the only source of truth that rightly and authoritatively explains the meaning of life and how we are to understand life how life begins, what life looks like in a fallen world as a sinner, what impact that has on our relationship with God and others, how to be right with the Holy God, how life ends, and what happens after life ends. Is your understanding of life being influenced by others in the wrong direction? Or is your understanding of life from Scripture, from the truth of God's Word, influencing others in the right direction. If Christians want to be relevant, then the worst thing they can do is to imitate the culture. And this doesn't just have an impact on unbelievers because they could be deceived into thinking that they're part of the kingdom when they're not. But this also has an impact on believers, especially those who are weak in the faith. We were saved to be in relationship with God and with one another. In fact, we are placed into one body, the church, and we are members one of another. The Christian life is never meant to be lived alone. And so your life should have an impact, and your life should have an influence on other members of the body. 
You were given a grace gift to be used to edify and to strengthen one another. God wants you to be an influence on those around you. You're given commands in scripture, one another commands, to exercise towards one another. And so we can often think of our influence only being outside the walls of the church towards unbelievers, but in fact, scripture also commands that our influence be inside of the church towards fellow believers. We need to understand that our lives, by the grace of God, can have and should have an impact and influence on others in light of our understanding of life. And that is what we see here in this stanza. The psalmist says in verse 74, if you look there with me, may those who fear you, he's talking about believers, may those who fear you see me and be glad because I wait for your word. He says in verse 79, may those who fear you, again, speaking of believers, may those who fear you turn to me and those who know your testimonies, believers. He wants other believers to take note of his godly conduct and to turn to him and be glad. And so he's having an influence on those around him. The psalmist expresses his desire to be one who influences others, and so he prays, may those who fear you turn to me and those who know your testimonies. The psalmist is not in this for himself. He's not in this for his own recognition, for his own reputation, for his own glory. He wants this for God's glory and for God's exaltation. But he understands this, that you will never be able to say, as the Apostle Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ, if you do not live your life according to the word of God and respond to life according to the word of God. What does this mean? It means if you neglect the word of God, you will be casting aside influence for the kingdom of God. If you neglect the word of God, you will be casting aside influence for the kingdom of God. In 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, the Apostle Paul writes, Be imitators of me, just as I also am of Christ. In Philippians 4.9, the Apostle Paul begins to conclude his letter to the Philippians, and he says, The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. You see his influence of his godly life, what he's practiced, what he's taught them, and he wants them to practice these things as well. In Hebrews 13, verse 7, it says, Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you, and considering the result of their conduct, imitate their faith. Your leaders are to live above reproach lives, godly conduct, so that you remember your leaders and you imitate their faith. In Titus chapter 2, instructions are given for older men to be examples to younger men, and for older women to be examples to younger women. Another example in, in scripture is found in 1 Thessalonians 1, chapter, chapter 1, verses 2 through 7. There it says, We give thanks to God always for all of you, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ before our God and Father, knowing, brothers, beloved by God, your election for our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power in the Holy Spirit and with full assurance just as you know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. Then it says, You also became imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. And then it says, So that you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. You start to see the multiplying effect of influence that you can have for Christ and his kingdom. 
It began with what kind of men we proved to be among you to you also became imitators of us to you became a model to all believers in Macedonia and Achaia. Our lives are to be an influence and impact on others for the kingdom of God. David says in Psalm 34, verse 3, Oh, magnify Yahweh with me. He wants others to join him in praise of his God and let us, he says, exalt his name together. We're to encourage our brothers and sisters to be together at church, to worship our God together, to hear from his word together, to encourage them in the faith. And another thing to take note of here and consider is that the psalmist is still in the midst of affliction. Everything's not going well in his life. He's facing opposition. People are seeking to kill him. He's in affliction. Notice verse 75. He says, I know, O Yahweh, that your judgments are righteous and that in faithfulness you have afflicted me. And down in verse 78, May the arrogant be ashamed, for they wrong me with lying, but I shall muse on your precepts. So in the midst of affliction, the psalmist is looking to the word of God, learning from the word of God, obeying the word of God. And as he is obeying the word of God, his life becomes a catalyst for others to fear God, to love God, to serve God, to hope in God, to rejoice in God. And we saw in the last stanza that in the midst of affliction, the psalmist was seeking to be taught good discernment and good knowledge because God is the one who gives discernment to those who are willing and eager to learn from him and his word. And his word. And the psalmist recognized that in affliction, that it was good for him. Verse 71, it is good for me that I was afflicted, that I may learn your statutes. And that Yahweh has dealt well with him. Verse 65, you have dealt well with your slave, O Yahweh, according to your word. And he can say that confidently, knowing God's loving kindness, knowing that God is sovereign, knowing that God is good to his slave. We also see in verse 68, he declares that God is good and that God does only good. And so he sees the afflictions in his life as good. We also saw that both delight and affliction can coincide simultaneously. Verses 69 and 70. And this comes from understanding and having biblical discernment according to the word of God. The psalmist recounted the sanctifying ways and the goodness of God in afflicting him. And we took note of eight sanctifying ways that displayed the goodness of God in affliction. That having discernment in affliction causes you to think about God to seek counsel from God, to pursue holiness, to come to greater conviction about the truth of who God is, to overcome evil with good, to delight in the word, to see more of God, and lastly, in verse 72, to value God's word above all else. And so we saw if you neglect the word of God, you're casting aside discernment for your life, discernment which only God can provide through his word. And this week, if you neglect the word of God, you are casting aside influence for the kingdom of God. We're taking note of four meaningful reasons for life. Four meaningful reasons for life. And all of these center around the ultimate purpose of glorifying God and making him known. What is life all about? This is what you and I have been created for. Four meaningful reasons. Number one, verses 73 and 74 to live for God. Secondly, verses 75 and 76, to be dependent upon God. 
Third, verse 77 and 78, to delight in God. And lastly, verses 79 and 80, to truly worship God. Four meaningful reasons why we have been created. To live for God, to be dependent upon God, to delight in God, and to truly worship God. And so the first meaningful reason that you've been created for is, again, verse 73 and verse 74, to live for God. Again, the psalmist writes, Your hands made me and established me. Give me understanding that I may learn your commandments. May those who fear you see me and be glad because I wait for your word. To understand life, you need to understand that God has made you and created you to live for him. This life is not about you. That's the biggest lie from Satan, that it's all about you. Get what you can. This life is not about you. This life is all about God. The psalmist declares that God has made and established him. And he has made and established all of us as well. He uses what is called anthropomorphic language, which is a way of assigning human qualities to help us to grasp what God has done or what God is doing. We know that God does not have hands. He's a spirit. But this language helps us to understand that it was his power, his strength that was divinely involved in making each one of us. Just as we understand the value of something being handcrafted, specially and specifically designed, or something that is handmade versus something that is store-bought. I made this for you versus I got this for you. There's greater meaning and significance to something that was made for you rather than bought for you. They spent time, they spent effort in making it specifically with you in mind. And the word here, the word made here means to cause to be or to become, to accomplish, to act with effect. And the word established means to form or to fashion. In other words, to create. And God has you in mind long before you were made and established. Jeremiah 1.5 says, Before I formed you in the innermost parts, I knew you. God knows all things from eternity past to eternity future. And before he formed you in the innermost parts, he says, I knew you. Not only do we know that God knew us before he formed us, but we know that he knows all of our days as well. He has numbered our days. Not only is God our sovereign creator, but he is our sovereign sustainer. Psalm 139, verses 13 through 16, says, For you formed, David writes, you formed my inward parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and intricately woven in the depths of the earth, which is an idiom for the womb. Your eyes have seen my unshaped substance. Some would call this a clump of cells. There's no life. But this is speaking of the person David's unformed substance that God saw in the womb and that God recognized as a human person which means formed or unformed, makes no difference for personhood. And I say that because there's a lot of confusion on when life begins. Life begins at the moment of conception. And that's clear from this passage and clear from many other passages in Scripture. The unborn child is an image-bearing person from the moment of conception. To end life is to murder life. And in your book, he continues, all of them were written the days that were formed for me 
when as yet there was none, not one of them. So God is our sovereign creator. He's our sovereign sustainer as well. And so Psalm 95, 6, Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before Yahweh, our maker. Psalm 100, verse 3, Know that Yahweh, He is God. It is He who has made us, and not we ourselves. And furthermore, in Genesis, we are told that we are different and unique from all other creation because we are created in the image of God. We are image bearers of God. We are to represent God and bear his image in this world, to make him known in this world. In other words, to live for God in this world. And also important to note is that God did not just speak man into existence as he did with everything else. God said, let there be light, and there was light. God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. God said, let the waters below the heavens be gathered into one place, and let dry land appear, and it was so. God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, and so on. But when it come, when it came to man, he didn't speak, but he formed and fashioned man. Genesis 2, 7. Then Yahweh God formed man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and so the man became a living being. And when it came to Eve, in Genesis 2, verses 21 and 22, same thing. So Yahweh God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept. Then he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. And Yahweh God fashioned the rib, which he had taken from the man, into a woman, and he brought her to the man. Your life is valuable. Your life is worthy and precious because God has made you fearfully and wonderfully made. We cannot forget that we are handcrafted by God, meaning that there's no change needed. If you're male, stay a male. If you're female, stay a female. There's no confusion. God did not make any mistakes. He knew exactly what he was doing, and he determined it and fixed it. And so do not go against what he has already made and established. We cannot forget that we are handcrafted by God to live for him. To live for him. Ephesians 2.10 says of believers, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them, we would live in them. This is what we need to understand. That it would lead us to learn from God and his word how it is that we are to live. He says in verse 74, after saying, your hands made me and established me, he says, give me understanding that I may learn your commandments. He prays for a sound mind, for discernment, for consideration, for comprehension, so that he may know how he might honor God with his life and conform his life to God's ways. The source of this understanding comes from God and is found in his word, and so we must look to God if we are to understand life. Spurgeon said, He who made us to live must make us to learn. He who gave us power to stand must give us grace to understand. That speaks to the depravity of our human nature, how sin has corrupted all things in this world and within our our own natures, that we don't understand life, that we can't see life or what it really is, to understand reality the truth about what God has revealed to us. We're blinded. But we'll get more into the solution later on. So, But not only are we to live for him, we're also to make him known. 
through the influence of our godly lives. Verse 74, may those who fear you see me and be glad because I wait for your word. He says, may those who fear you see me. And to see means to understand, to look at, to examine closely, to inspect, and even to spy on. Your life at all times is before God. Yes, we can't hide anything from God. God not only sees everything that we do, but he knows everything that's going on in our minds and our hearts. But your life at all times before others is a testimony and a witness. Whether you think people are observing you or not, paying attention to you or not, how you live or the decisions you make or don't make, you should be living as an example regardless because that honors God. And as you do, as in the psalmist's case here, as you wait for the word, meaning as you live your life looking forward to and in anticipation of what God has promised in his word with great hope, when your life is characterized by hope, your life will therefore influence others. The psalmist is saying here, I want my life of hope to influence other believers around me so that they would be glad, so that they would rejoice, because that glorifies God. In other words, hope-filled people bring gladness with them. Hope-filled people bring gladness with them. It's contagious. And I'm sure you know people like that, where you have a conversation with them and you leave more encouraged in the faith, more glad you're rejoicing, even if times are difficult, even if you're going through a trial. You're more hopeful in the Lord because of their godly influence, because they have great hope in the Lord. And so you are to be an encouragement to others. You can positive, positively influence others. And one of the ways that you can do that is in how you respond specifically to affliction and suffering, something that this world will never understand unless they are in Christ. Remember, the psalmist is in the midst of affliction, yet he lives his life understanding who he is to live for and understanding that his hope in the word during difficult times can be a means of helping other believers to be glad, to have their spirits uplifted, to be able to count it all joy when various trials come. In Matthew 5, verse 16, it says, Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. This is what you and I have been created for. The first meaningful reason that you've been created for is to live for God, and this will have an influence upon others. The second meaningful reason that you've been created for is found in verses 75 and 76. We are created to be dependent upon God. To be dependent upon God. The psalmist writes, I know, O Yahweh, that your judgments are righteous and that in faithfulness you have afflicted me. O may your loving kindness comfort me according to your word to your slave. Greater dependence upon God comes with a greater knowledge of God. The more you know about someone the more you trust them, the more you would depend upon them for something. And to a much greater degree, the same is true when it comes to God. When you realize that your entire life, your entire being, each breath depends upon God, you will depend upon him and trust in him more. And this knowledge of God is revealed to us in his word, which is absolute truth. And so we can absolutely be, we can absolutely be confident in what it says. And what does the psalmist know and understand in light of affliction? In verse 75, he says, I know, O Yahweh, that your judgments are righteous and that in faithfulness 
you have afflicted me. And so what does this proper knowledge lead him to do? Notice verse 76. Oh, may your loving kindness comfort me according to your word to your slave. It leads him to depend upon, to bank his life upon, to have confidence and to be governed by the truth of who God is and the truth of God's word. It helps him to put into perspective what is happening in his life. In other words, it helps him to understand life. That afflictions produce good because God is good and does good. That afflictions are tied to God's faithfulness towards us and that his judgments are righteous. Not only to know that all that God does is good, but also that all that God does is right. God is not just good. He is good and right. And that it is God's loving kindness, his steadfast love, his loyal, merciful, unfailing love that will provide us with comfort to alleviate sorrow or distress and to give us strength. And there's this profound reality in that his sorrow cannot be removed in any other way than by God's mercy or loving kindness being exercised towards him. He knew that the afflictor, verse 75, that in faithfulness you have afflicted me, he knew that the afflictor was also the comforter. In other words, in in the words of Job 13.15, though he slay me, I will trust in him. God is sovereign over everything. And so any, in any and every circumstance, we can depend upon God and his word, but we must know his word. First Peter 4, 12 through 19. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree you are sharing the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing so that also at the revelation of his glory, you may rejoice with exultation. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer or thief or evildoer or a troublesome meddler. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, he is not to be put to shame, but is to glorify God in this name. For it is time for judgment to begin with the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is with a difficulty that the righteous is saved, what will become of the godless man and the sinner? Therefore, those also who suffer according to the will of God must entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing good. In doing good. The psalmist's understanding of who he is is also reason for his dependence upon God. He calls himself a slave of God. He's a slave of God, that is to do the will of God under the authority of God. Therefore, he must depend upon God to provide all things for him. And God knows exactly what we need. He knows best what we need. And it's good for us to know that so that we would be dependent upon him for all things. He knows us better than we know ourselves. And he knows what is best for us. So we must look to him and depend upon him. This is what you and I have been created for. The second meaningful reason that you have been created for is to be dependent upon God. We were not created to be on our own or to live life dependent upon ourselves or independent of God. To do so places you on the path of destruction rather than the path of blessing. The third meaningful reason that you have been created for is to delight in God. 
to delight in God. Verses 77 and 78. It says, May your compassion come to me that I may live, for your law is my delight. May the arrogant be ashamed, for they wrong me with lying, but I shall muse on your precepts. We have been created to find our greatest delight in God. It is only when you understand that that you will be able to respond to all of life with the proper attitude and perspective. The psalmist prays for God's compassion to come to him, which refers to God's mercy and his tender affection and also his deep awareness of your situation and circumstance. He knows everything that is going on. He knows God and he knows that God is compassionate and he knows that he needs and depends upon God's compassion that he may live. That means to be sustained, to be, to persevere, to live on and continue on in life despite whatever is happening to him and to do so with great delight. He says, your law is my delight. And how can he say that? And why does he say that? And do we say that in times of great affliction? That your law is my delight. He's able to say that because God's word provides us with direction. God's word provides us with instruction and guidance for life so that we're never lost. We're never left wondering what are we to do or how to understand what is happening in light of God's sovereignty. God's word lights our path. And so we are to delight in it and find our delight in it. God's word leads to salvation. God's word leads to sanctification. God's word leads us to protection. It leads us to preservation. And we see in verse 78 that the psalmist prays that the arrogant, the proud, the presumptuous, who are slandering him with lying would be ashamed. And what does it mean to be ashamed? To be ashamed is to feel shame and guilt an embarrassment, or remorse. So if you think about it, will that happen if you repay evil with evil? Will that happen if you retaliate and curse those who curse you? Romans 12, verses 9 through 21, speaks of the love that we are to have that we are to display and demonstrate as it relates to both believers and unbelievers. The Apostle Paul writes, Let love be without hypocrisy. Let love be without hypocrisy by abhorring what is evil, clinging to what is good, being devoted to one another in brotherly love, giving preference to one another in honor, not lagging behind in diligence, being fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, persevering in affliction, being devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints, pursuing hospitality. Then it says, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep, by being of the same mind toward one another, not being haughty in mind, but associating with the humble. Do not be wise in your own mind, never paying back evil for evil to anyone, respecting what is good in the sight of all men, if possible, so far as it depends on you, being at peace with all men, never taking your own revenge. Beloved, instead, leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing so, you will heap burning coals 
on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. In other words, let the demonstration and display of your love be so otherworldly and supernatural. In other words, Christ-like, that your conduct causes your enemies to feel ashamed because you are loving them despite their opposition and hatred of you. The psalmist understands that vengeance belongs to the Lord. And so not having to worry about that, he gives his full attention, his thoughts, and he focuses his mind on musing and meditating upon God and his word where his delight is found. He wants to please God. And this is why you and I have been created. The third meaningful reason that we have been created is to delight in God, to find all of our delight and satisfaction in him and in his word. And that's to understand that in him we have everything we need for life and for godliness. We're not lacking anything. And the fourth meaningful reason that you have been created for is found in verses 79 and 80, to truly worship God, to truly worship God. Again, we see here the psalmist understanding that his life is to be an influence on the lives of others. He says in verse 79, May those who fear you turn to me and those who know your testimonies, speaking of believers. And notice as well the inseparable connection between those who fear God and those who know God's testimonies, those who know God's word. Fear of God or reverence for God goes hand in hand with your knowledge of divine truth. Believers are both God-fearing and God-knowing. They both love God and learn God. And so are the scales of your reverence for God and your knowledge of God unbalanced? Does it lean in one direction? Does it lean more in the direction of professing to love God? Or does it lean more in the direction of head knowledge? Both must be a part of your lifestyle if you are to truly worship God. And worship is always a matter of the heart, a matter of the heart. And so the psalmist desires that his heart, which characterizes all of who he is, from his thoughts to his motives to his intentions to his actions, that his entire life would be characterized by being blameless, he says, free of guilt, that his life would be lived with sincerity and integrity and obedience according to God's eternal and binding word, God's statutes, so that he will not be ashamed. He said earlier that may the arrogant be ashamed, but may not be true that we would be ashamed because of how we have lived our lives, not understanding that we are to worship God from the heart and also to be an influence upon others in this world. In verse 73, the psalmist prayed for a sound mind, and here he prays for a sound heart. In verse 80, may my heart be blameless in your statutes so that I will not be ashamed one that does not take pleasure in sin, but one that finds pleasure in obeying God. And he mentions the heart because our internal desires govern our external behaviors. And so the cure for the pleasure of sin is not merely prohibition, it's not stop doing this, but it's a greater pleasure in God. That the urge to please God becomes greater than the urge to give in to temptation and to sin. And this is a battle in the mind and the heart of a true worshiper of God. They now have a heart that desires the will of God. And though they will never live it perfectly, they now have the power of the Spirit indwelt in them to overcome sin and temptation. 
And this is what you and I have been created for, four meaningful reasons to help us rightly understand life. To live for God, to depend upon God, to find all of our delight and satisfaction in Him, and to worship God with all of who we are from the heart so that we can glorify God and so that we can make Him known. And this is what it means to truly live. This is what it means to truly live. Everyone else who does not understand life is blinded, is spiritually dead. They can't see what is going on around them with eyes to see and ears to hear that only God can grant through Christ. They're living for themselves. They're seeking what is best in their own eyes and finding that deep within, all is vanity. What is the purpose of life? What is the meaning of life? Why does bad things happen to good people? They don't understand any of it. They see life as chance or luck or or maybe this happened, but I, I'm not sure why. And this psalm is structured to emphasize that if we are to understand life, we need to understand God and we need to know God's word. This psalm has a chiastic structure where parallel ideas move from the outside in and what is in the middle is what is particularly significant. So notice with me again, verses 73 through 80. Again, parallel ideas moving from the outside in. Verse 73 and verse 80, the outside verses. We see the psalmist's desire for a deeper spiritual maturity. A sound mind in verse 73 and a sound heart in verse 80. Parallel truths, parallel ideas. Moving in, verse 74 and verse 79. We see the psalmist has in mind those who fear you. His influence upon other believers. Moving in again, verse 75 and verse 78. Both deal with the psalmist's affliction and what he was facing. In faithfulness you have afflicted me. The arrogant be ashamed for they they wrong me with lying. And then we find ourselves in the middle. It's what we don't want to miss. Verses 76 and 77, which highlights God's loving kindness and God's compassion. God's loving kindness and God's compassion. The only way that we can come to God, the only way that we can understand life and truly live is because of God's loving kindness and compassion. It didn't come from within our own selves. It didn't come because we're smarter or more intellectual than others. We're dead, just like every other sinner is dead in their sins and trespasses. We're blinded to the truth. We're blinded to understanding life properly. We don't understand why we were created. We don't understand why we're here. We don't understand where life is headed, what happens after death. But because of God's loving kindness, because of God's compassion upon sinners, before the foundation of the world, he chose a people. A people that would know him, a people that would worship him, a people that would make him known. And our lives are to reflect that. And so as Christians, we are to be living for God wholeheartedly. We are to depend upon God for all things, especially in difficult times, especially through trials, and be a witness and testimony to those around us. We are to delight in him in all circumstances as well, to show the world that even though these things are happening, we find our greatest joy and delight in God. He knows. He's taking care of us. He's preserving us. He's sustaining us. He's sovereign over it all, and he knows it all. 
And we're to worship him. Worship him with our lives from the heart. We know that this is the only way that we can glorify God. That's why Christians should be characterized by thankfulness. That's why we should be characterized by great joy and great hope in the present as we live our lives, knowing what awaits us. And so again, how do you understand life? How do you process everything that is happening around you or to you? What is your purpose in life? How are you responding to life? What are you holding on to? What is your hope in? What is your attitude and perspective in life? True meaning and true purpose and true satisfaction and true blessing in life comes first from knowing who God is and why he has created you. I would suggest that you just read Genesis chapters 1 through 11 to understand pretty much all of life from those chapters. And the rest of the Bible just expands on that truth and reality that God is your creator. Adam sinned, and so we're fallen sinners. We're separated from God. Why is there murder? We learn from Genesis 1 through 11. Why are the people separated? We learn from Genesis 1 through 11. To misunderstand this or to reject this is to live life void of true meaning, true purpose, true satisfaction, and true blessing. And in closing, notice with me again, verses 73 and 80. Every verse, the psalmist mentions the word of God. The influence and impact the word of the word upon his own life and the influence and impact that the word learned, applied, and lived out can have on the lives of those around us. Again, verse 73, he wants to learn his commandments, your commandments. Verse 74, I wait for your word. Verse 75, your judgments are righteous. Verse 76, your word to your slave. Verse 77, your law is my delight. Verse 78, I shall muse on your precepts. Verse 79, those who know your testimonies. In verse 80, may my heart be blameless in your statutes. In other words, going back to the beginning, if you neglect the word of God, you will be casting aside influence for the kingdom of God. You'll be casting aside influence for the kingdom of God if you neglect the word of God because you won't know how to live for God properly. You won't know the will of God. You won't conform your life. You won't renew your mind. And we know that God uses the word as a means, as an instrument to sanctify us, to make us more like Christ. And so we need to depend upon the word. We need to be in the word. We cannot neglect the word of God or else we'll be neglecting our own spiritual lives and the spiritual lives of those around us in whom we are to influence and impact and encourage so that they're stronger in the faith because of us, that we can say with Apostle Paul, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for its clarity. We thank you that it reveals to us authoritatively and sufficiently why we were created what the meaning of life is, what we have been put place, what we have been placed upon earth to do, what we have been saved to do as well, which is to proclaim and to make you known the gospel that saves. Father, help us not to neglect our calling, this privileged calling out of your goodness and grace and mercy towards us. Help us not to take it for granted, 
Help us to recognize how big and how great you are, how involved you are in every detail of life. Help us to be those who would be faithful to you, who would delight in your law, those who would muse upon your precepts, those who would seek to have those who fear you turn to us, that they may see your Son in his love and glorify you, that they may be glad in seeing the conduct of our lives, that they may be glad in seeing how we respond to suffering and affliction, that we may speak truth and love and point them ultimately to your Son and why any of this is possible. It's through your Son, it's through your Spirit, it's through his finished work upon the cross. May our lives be a testimony to this watching world and may our lives be an influence to those who are part of your church. Help us to be an encouragement to one another. Help us to love one another. Help us to be united together in your truth and to stand upon this truth and to cherish this truth. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your son. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.